Hello and welcome to The Dialogues, the interview series about people with type 1 diabetes, for people with type 1 diabetes and with people with type 1 diabetes, where we talk to you, your doctors, nurses, nutritionists, CGM experts, entrepreneurs and pretty much anyone with interesting perspectives and insights in the world of type 1 diabetes. Make sure you subscribe and make sure you give us feedback and let us know what you want to know. We're brought to you by Not Just a Patch, the patch designed to keep your CGM stuck on you. Not Just a Patch gives 10% of all profits to support insulin access for all. Visit notjustapatch.com and use the code PODCAST10 to get 10% off your next order. Enjoy the episode, everyone. Hi, Nicole. Welcome to episode four of the dialogue series that we're running. And thank you for uh, agreeing to, to talk to us today. For the viewers and listeners, Nicole, we'll get you to introduce yourself in a second. Pretty impressive background as a, a CDE, a credentialed diabetes educator, a dietitian, and a nutrition coach. Welcome and thanks for joining us. How about we kick off with you just uh, giving us a little bit of background about uh, your experience and your uh, the areas that you're interested in. Yeah, hi, thank you for having me. So I my background is in nutrition. I've been a dietitian now for about eight years and it's been, I mean, I've been working with patients with diabetes for most of the time Yeah. in all different areas. So it's been, you know, in clinical, which is like inpatient, it's been outpatient, I've worked in dialysis. I have my own private practice now. It's called Damasi Nutrition. Um, so I'm based in Los Angeles and I see all different types of patients. A lot of them are diabetic. So it's, you know, either type one or type two, or it could be kidney disease. It could be weight loss, digestive issues. So it, there's, you know, people that I see, it's never just one thing. It's usually a combination of things. And uh, what was it? This tends to be a question that, that, that I'm asking actually so far in this series, but what was it that uh, got you into the diabetes space? Yeah, I mean, I guess as a dietitian, we see a lot of patients with diabetes just because the need for a dietitian is so strong in that area. But I was seeing a lot of people kind of when they've already got to the point where their diabetes was so uncontrolled that they were now having secondary issues like kidney disease and cardiovascular disease and things like that. So I kind of wanted to get more into diabetes for learning about the prevention of other diseases and also just to help people with better control, give them more education really, because I found that education was kind of sporadic yeah. in the field. You'd be diagnosed and then you might not get education from, you know, a healthcare provider for, you know, years unless you yeah. look for it yourself. So I just got into it because, I mean, first of all, I think it's really interesting. And, uh, you know, I just was seeing so many people. I just wanted to get better at it. And also... When I did most of my work in diabetes was um, I recently worked for Omnipod. Mm. So they make a tubeless insulin pump. So I had been working in an outpatient clinic before that, seeing patients, and I really got into pumps. Yeah. And um, I, when I started working with Omnipod, I realized that pumps are just so cool. They're so amazing. So most of my work with type 1s um, and type 2s has been with Omnipod. 
Um, I currently don't work for them any longer, but I did um, in the past and, and I loved it. I learned so much about, you know, pumps and using a pump and CGMs, all the tips and tricks of, you know, the pump world to really help with uh, managing diabetes. And so that was really fun. But yeah, you're certainly right. I think about this that concept of when you get diagnosed, you know, you're in a health system and there is probably help available, but you have to kind of go out looking for it. You, you need to go and find a diabetes educator and you need to find an endocrinologist and you certainly finding ones that work for you can be a bit of a challenge. I know I've had experiences where, you know, I've had an endocrinologist who, who would just sort of ask me the same questions every time I saw them. And I kind of started feeling like it was a bit of a waste of time because I was just sort of saying the same things and that I wasn't really getting a lot of value out of it. So I'm really interested in the kind of different areas of help that are out that are kind of evolving in this space to I guess tailor to the different types of people with diabetes and their different needs. So that's it's an inter- it's interesting how you kind of found your way through that. And also what your role what was when you were working with Omnipod. Well before I wanted to actually mention something that you said about you know NAS having a lot of yeah, education. I think that's really important. Um, when you first get diagnosed with type one especially it is scary right? I mean, you're now being thrown into this new world of having to live and and to manage yourself 24-7. I think that those first few months or even, you know, years when you first get diagnosed are so critical to teach you how to take care of your diabetes. And so if you're not getting the proper care that you need, you're going to probably learn some pretty bad habits right from the beginning. And so if you are working with somebody to help you better manage it and to help you, you know, make realistic changes, it might not seem as overwhelming for you right in the beginning. And so you'll be able to better manage it moving forward. And that kind of leads into the whole question about pumps. I think a lot of physicians don't like to put people on pumps right away because they Mm -hmm. want to make sure that they can you know, be A plus students, quote unquote, with their diabetes, right? So making sure that they have really great blood sugar levels and they're checking their sugars and, and, you know, they want to make sure that A1Cs are perfect. And that's not realistic. I think a lot of what I did working at Omnipod was just getting doctors to see that pumps can actually be a tool to help patients get to that point where they actually can manage their blood sugars better. It's just, it's basically like a calculator really. So it's, it's actually taking a lot of the guesswork out of having to calculate, you know, insulin to carb ratios and correction factors and all that stuff that can be really intimidating for people. Yeah, I do think, you know, it's important to know how to, you have to know how to manage diabetes. You can't just go straight to a pump. Like that's not what I'm saying because you need to have backup, right? But I think it's also really important to know what type of options are out there for you in terms of technology. And I mean, when I worked, so let me tell you a little bit about when I worked at Omnipod. So I was a clinical sales manager. And so what that means is, sorry, not clinical sales manager. I was a clinical services manager. And so what that means is I was part of the sales team, but I was the person who was managing all the patients that were going on the pump. So from start to finish, I would see them if they were, you know, currently on multiple daily injections, or if they were on another pump, I would have to start them on the pump or transition them to it. And I would follow them closely for at least a few weeks after, and then all the way up to three months, I would do a check-in and see how they were doing. 
So giving them a lot of education, teaching them how to use the pump, checking in with their doctors or other healthcare providers to make sure that that transition was smooth, helping them to figure out, you know, all the little tips and tricks that you can do with a pump. So how uh, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in kind of how the patients found you or at what point you were engaging with them in that process and how the, de the decision around Omnipod was come to. You mean for the patient? Yeah, um, yeah. Given that you, you work for Omnipod, but you had a hands-on role with the patient, that's probably, I suppose in my experience, a little bit of a different approach in that companies, I think probably in Australia and, and the UK where I've worked a little bit around healthcare, companies probably have a bit more of a distance from the patient. So I'm kind of interested in in that role where you got to have you know time with the patient and whether it was an Omnipod-specific clinic or something along those lines. Yeah. It honestly depends on the rules and regulations of the country or even from state to state, it's a little bit different. Right. So um, because Omnipod is a medical, it's medical device, it's not pharmaceutical. Yeah. Um, where So like, for example, if you were just a pharmaceutical rep for, rep for a drug company, say like insulin, for example, yeah. um, you might not actually have access to the patients. You just have to talk to the healthcare providers. But because it's a medical device um, and you have to actually teach the patient how to use it, it's very hands-on. Yep. Some offices actually didn't let us in. They wanted their diabetes educators or nurse educators to do all of the trainings and they didn't yep. want us at all. We gotcha. would just train the nurses directly. But for the most part, I was doing you know about 90% of our the trainings with the patients. Okay. And a lot of doctors don't have the capacity to do that. They don't have the time to do it. Or sometimes they just don't have extra help to actually train the patient. So they welcomed our presence in the office a lot of time. So how many pumps were uh, available to choose from? So the endocrinologist or the CDE, you know, if they were giving a patient advice, how many pumps were available on the market to choose from for a patient in the US? So in my experience, a lot of offices, they like to be kind of pump neutral. So meaning they don't want to push the patient to choose any particular pump. They tell them all the options and then they let them choose on their own. Okay. Some offices, they're very picky on which ones they choose. Like some doctors will push certain pumps on people, but at the time there was three main pumps. So there was the Omnipod tubeless pump, there was the Medtronic tubed pump. And at the time there were a couple different ones. So I worked for Omnipod a couple of years ago now, but now yeah. there's the closed loop system. And then before there was the, you know, 670G. Now there's um, also the tandem pump as well. So it's mostly Medtronic, Omnipod and tandem. Gotcha. The three pumps available. Okay, cool. That stuff's really interesting, actually. We could probably spend quite a while on that, um, but I'm also really keen to actually talk a little bit about the nutrition and dietitian side of things, just to get a sense of like your background there. And um, because it's a really important area, you know, it's such a crucial part of the life of a, of a diabetic type one or otherwise, really. And I think it's interesting because one thing that I've kind of realized recently is that through the understanding of my blood glucose levels, I've been able to develop a you know more intimate relationship with food. In, in a sense, I'm, I'm, I have a better, I have a good understanding of the impact of food on my body, and that's been really kind of helpful, I suppose, overall, just in life in general. Understanding the impacts of food and at a level that if you don't test your blood sugars, others don't necessarily have. Talk to us a bit about your work in that space in terms of. Uh, dietitian and nutrition stuff and, and the relevance for, for uh, type 1 diabetics? 
Yeah, I mean, diet is a huge role. I mean, it's not the only thing that affects blood sugars, right? But it's 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 a huge part of it. Yeah. And I think that it really does affect your relationship with food because a lot of times, I mean, realistically, you can't just go and eat whatever you want. You have to think about it and how it's going to affect you later on. Yeah. And I mean, technically you can't eat what you want as long as you have the right strategies to prevent your blood sugars from spiking. So like if you wanted to have, let's say dessert, you can have it. You just have to have more insulin for it. Yeah. But it's the strategies around keeping your blood sugar under control is definitely tricky because it, it's on a case by case basis. It's, it's just so different. So it's looking at the diet as a whole. It's looking to see, you know, what types of patterns are evolving in your blood sugars. It's looking to see, um, you know, how exercise affects it, how stress affects it. But when we talk about nutrition specifically, Carbs get a bad reputation, I think, right? But you need carbs and you know that as a type one, as soon as your blood sugars start dropping, you need some carbohydrates. So we know that carbs are really important, but it's the type of carbohydrates that really matter, right? So you need quick carbs, but typically just when you're having low blood sugars is when you want the quick carbs. So when I mean quick carbs, I mean simple sugars like that are more processed, the ones that yeah. we say to try to limit most of the time. So, you know, your sugar, what's I love, that? I love, I love them all. I love the quick ones. I love the slow ones. Uh, <laughs> uh, Keep going. Sorry, I interrupted. No, that's okay. I was going to say, so like the, the simple sugars are needed and it's not like you can never have them. And I think there's this, this stigma around sugar for people with diabetes. It's like, you know, it's like the, the elephant in the room when it's there. It's like either yeah. you avoid it completely or you're like, you're obsessed over it. And so you can have these things. And I think it's, it's really important to work with a dietitian to see how you can add some foods back into your diet that you really enjoy because it, food is meant to be enjoyed, right? It's not meant to be feared. It's meant to, it serves a purpose in culture and community and family. And so I think when I work with people, I try to you know, I go over like, what are your favorite foods? What is your diet like? How can we incorporate these in, but make it so that you have a plan around it, right? You have a strategy to figure out what's the best way to add these foods into your diet. Now, of course, there's like the long-term effects of that. So even if your blood sugars are normal and you're eating a ton of junk food, it's still going to have other effects, right? So it's not just about your blood sugar. Sure, um, yeah, can- absolutely causing all sorts of things like inflammation. It can increase your, you know, certain foods can increase your blood pressure and cause digestive issues. So it's really about the diet as a whole and not just about your blood sugar. So did you want me to get into- Well, yeah, I tend to think of it like actually as a diabetic, the diet is just a little bit more important than it is for anyone else. That actually all the same things apply, you know, excess yeah. carbohydrates are bad for anyone and they may be just a little bit worse. And I, th- and I tend to think of that uh, applied across the board for diabetics, you know, all of the usual things that are bad for you when, if you're a non-diabetic are still bad for you if you're a diabetic, they're just maybe a little bit worse. But yeah, there's certainly a group of type one diabetics and type two is a, is a kind of a different conversation, I think, in terms of diet and the considerations mm-hmm. are different and how you approach your diet is different because diet has partly been the reason that you've become type two. But certainly as a type one, I have learned, like for example, last night I had a massive bowl of pasta, fresh pasta, it was delicious, I love it. 
I don't think I could ever give it up. But what I have to do is I just have to be more proactive with my checking and which, you know, wearing a CGM allows me to do that. A pump probably would even be better to manage it. But what I did was I had this bottle of pasta. I gave myself six units of uh, Nova Rapid when I had it. And then I kept checking every 15 minutes to half an hour to watch what it was doing. Before bed, I saw that it was slowly starting to drift up. I was in range. And then um, I gave myself another three units of long acting before bed and two units of Nova Rapid before bed. Because mm -hmm. I knew from having the same bowl of pasta like two weeks ago, I knew that if I didn't, I, I, when, I, when I had that same bowl of pasta two weeks ago, I, I just gave myself the three units of long acting before bed, not the short acting. So this time, and I ended up at like, I woke up and I was like 15, which is millimoles, which is different to, I think, I don't know what that is in your, in your metrics, but this time I gave myself two units and I woke up and I was like six, I was in range. So it worked So that, you know, now when I go to have that again, I have to consider multiple factors, you know, in terms of what exercise I've done and various other things, but that now I have a bit of a strategy for that same bowl of pasta next time I, I come to that, but it, it was good to be able to eat that, <laughs> have a guilty pleasure, enjoy it to the max and then um, do the right things and end up waking up in range. It's such a satisfying feeling. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's great that you say that because it is all about trial and error, right? I mean, it's, it's not beating yourself up for the times that you don't get it exactly right. Cause it's not about perfection. It's about consistency. Right. And just, if you keep, just keep trying if, yeah. if one thing didn't work, try something else. Don't beat yourself up about it because I see so many people just get really stressed out about their blood sugars not being in range or they can't figure it out. You know, it's either that maybe you just need to tweak something or yeah. you can talk to a dietitian and they can look at everything and say, they can see patterns, right? We can see patterns. If we download your data from your CGM, we can see like, okay, well here you, you know, you might've spiked up from the pasta, but you don't realize that you were already running high because of what you ate for breakfast that day. It yeah. might not even have been the pasta. It could have been something that you had previously, but you had never came down from it. And so yeah. there's so many little things that you do have to look at that can really make a difference. And so it helps when you have a second set of eyes to look at your data, to figure Absolutely. it all out. So given the experience you've had in the number of patients you've dealt with and your background in, in nutrition, what are the big mistakes that diabetics, type one diabetics will make when it comes to managing their diet? What are the, what are the things that we need to be aware of and, and learn from, I guess, those that are doing well? Yeah. Um, I mean, in terms of mistakes, it's like, I try not to label things as good or bad because then, yeah. um, you know, you kind of get like a negative stigma around it. But in terms of some of the things that I've seen, it's, it comes from a lack of being educated by the healthcare providers. So that could be like, you know, I had someone recently who was accidentally giving themselves short acting insulin, but skipping the long acting insulin because he thought he only had to take it when his blood sugars were high. So he wasn't taking any long acting at all. He just kept giving himself short acting. Some one of the biggest things that I've seen recently in terms of diet, though, would be keto diet or any of these fad diets that are out there. The keto diet is is interesting because there's you know there's a lot of studies that show um, you know if you do it the wrong way, which means if you're having a lot of food that's high in you know red meat, processed meat like sausage and bacon and 
um, you know, just a lot of animal pro protein in general, it can actually be pro-inflammatory. So meaning it can increase oxidative stress in the body, which can then yeah. lead to other issues like cardiovascular disease. Um, it can also be quite taxing on the kidneys long-term, especially if you're already at high risk for kidney disease, like if you have uncontrolled blood sugars. That's pretty much, that's the biggest one I'd have to say right now to give you, you a short answer. Do you get into a lot of discussion, debate with people about these topics? Because there is a, there's a big keto movement going on out there. I think some people would look at keto as being potentially a helpful thing, you know, because it's not, it's low in carbs, obviously, and therefore you're not going to get the spikes uh, with your blood mm -hmm. sugars. And I, and I dabble, and I've dabbled with intermittent fasting for a while now. I, I will just have black coffee most mornings of the week, and then I won't eat sometimes until like one or two. And some days I'll just have some nuts and, you know, a piece of fruit until dinner as well. And that I find actually my blood sugar, I actually feel clearer. And this, is, this isn't keto, right? This is intermittent fasting more so than keto. But they have, you know, there's crossover. Right. There's, there's similarities, some similarities in them. But I find that I clear up, just I feel generally better in myself if I mm -hmm. give my gut some time, some space, a break effectively. So, yeah, what, how do you kind of handle those? Do, do you have a kind of fixed attitude to, to, to fasting and keto or is it is it on a patient basis? It's on a patient-by-patient patient basis, definitely. I mean, Generally, I don't recommend keto specifically just because of we don't know a lot of the long term effects of it yet. And that's because a lot of the studies that are done, they can't actually get them to be long term studies because it's such a hard diet to follow. Yeah. If you're actually doing a true keto diet when you're in ketosis for a long period of time, yeah. it's difficult to follow. And the problem is that if you're cutting out these foods, like if you cut out carbs for a long time, Sometimes that can cause, you know, obsession over carbs moving forward. Yeah. And so then it kind of becomes well, like a little bit of an unhealthy relationship with food. And plus you, you do need carbohydrates. It's your brain's main preferred source of, of energy. But the other thing is, I think a lot of people with diabetes spend a lot of time trying to stay out of ketosis, right? Like we know ketones are not a good thing for the body, mm. especially type one. Yeah. So if you're kind of teetering on the edge of, of being in ketosis, you're going to be at higher risk for, for, you know, for being really ill, especially if you get sick and you're doing a ketogenic diet, um, you're at higher risk for DKA. And so that can be kind of a, a really, you know, poor situation that can happen pretty quickly if you're already teetering on the edge. Are they, are, are they the same thing? So the ketosis you go into from a diet, but like from an you know intention based kind of approach where you're doing it with a with a proper focus versus the you haven't taken any insulin type ketosis are they the same no yes and no <laughs> the thing is it, it's because dka can happen like to people even if like their blood sugars are not really really high yeah right you can still have ketones in the blood yeah so if you like, they tell you to check your, your body for ketones, if your blood sugar is over 300, right? Yeah. So that means that your body's creating ketones because you're actually not able to get the, you know, the sugar into the cells mm. of ketones. Yeah. But if you are creating ketones because your body is essentially breaking down fat to use mm. for energy, 
that creates ketones as well. So I can't tell you that it's like exactly the same because it depends on everyone's physiological processes and how it, it, it might be a little bit different, but you can still, you know, cause some damage by doing that. So I would recommend. You what, know, about, what about fasting? Uh, what about intermittent fasting? Am I doing the wrong thing? So this is another one where it, it's tough to say because intermittent fasting, there's so many different types. There's, you know, people that will fast for just 12 hours a day overnight. There's the 16 hour fast. Yeah. Some people fast for a whole 24 hours. So when you say intermittent fasting, it, it really depends on the person and what it means. So I don't recommend going long periods of time without food, just because of the fact that you do need vitamins and minerals to help your body function properly. Right. So it's not just about Again, it's not just about blood sugars and it's not just about energy levels. It's also getting the right amount of nutrition for your body so that you don't you know, lose too much weight or lose muscle mass. There are studies that show that intermittent fasting can actually aid in longevity. So living longer. Yeah. yeah. But it cleans really up free radicals and things like that. Is that a real thing? Cleans up, uh, cleans up free radicals. So it gives your body time to go and you know, focus on parts of, you know, on, on unhealthy things that might exist in your body. I mean, there's even evidence out there around fasting. You know, I think they, they, cancer patients, for example, are, are, are prescribed fasting, I believe. Yeah. And again, it's, it's kind of a slippery slope because it really depends on the person. I mean, if you have, if you're someone with cancer and you are already like wasting and you're losing muscle mass, that can decrease your immune system even further. So you wouldn't want to necessarily rely on intermittent fasting to help like cure your cancer, but I'd say it depends. It's yeah. hard for me to say specifically, but with the intermittent fasting, I think one of the reasons why people do it is because, you know, they want to limit their calorie intake. And if it's for, you know, weight loss, a lot of studies have shown that no matter how you limit your calories, whether it's through keto, whether it's through intermittent fasting or just a, a regular you know, limit your calories diet over time, people lose the same amount of weight, but with the keto diet, people tend to gain it back later on because it's not really a long-term strategy for people. And so when you go back to eating things like carbs, a lot of times you can gain back that weight pretty quickly, especially if you're eating the wrong type of carbs. And because, you know, if you're somebody that's been restricting carbohydrates for a long time, those carbs then become kind of almost, you know, like you got to have them <laughs> for certain wow. people. Not All of this uh, talking about carbs <laughs> and foods making me hungry, actually. I'm looking <laughs> at my clock and I'm wondering what time lunch is. <laughs> so let's, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of start to wrap things up a little bit. Uh, I could talk about, I find, I find keto and fasting and, and all of this nutrition stuff. I, I really find it a fascinating topic. We could probably run a whole you know, a whole session just on, just on intermittent fasting. Right. So just, I think just kind of one question to finish off. I'm curious on whether you kind of have any insight into where we're moving with diet, like what the future holds. I mean, I think people, you know, fasting's always been around, for example, keto's kind of, you know, arguably been around, but these, these are very topical things now what's what's on the horizon in these types of areas what are we going to what, what are the diets we're going to be seeing in 10 years time um i think a lot of the research that's out right now is kind of leaning towards a plant-based diet 
And that's been, I mean, when we talk about diet, it's, this is why I don't really like fad diets too much. I mean, yeah. some of them have their benefits in different ways. And that's why I, I can't give you a straight answer on, on which diet is best for you. Yeah. But just in general, a diet that's balanced with, you know, carbs, protein, and lots of vegetables is going to probably be the best option for you. And there's a lot of research that shows that animal protein specifically can um, increase insulin resistance. So meaning if you, you know, if you use insulin, your body is not going to be actually um, use that insulin as efficiently. And so it can, you know, affect your blood sugars that way. And also just the long-term effects of animal protein has been shown to increase inflammation and cardiovascular disease. So I'm seeing a lot of plant-based diets. I personally recommend plant-based diet for most people. Do you do plant-based diet yourself? I do most of the time. Yeah. And the reason being is because it's so high in fiber and high fiber diets help to feed your gut. And so your, your digestive tract, and I could do a whole episode just on gut health, yeah. um, but gut health is so important for, for anyone. And when we say gut health, we mean digestive health. And that's basically, you know, your mouth, through your intestines, all the way down to, you know, the colon. And um, you have little bacteria that run all the way down and um, you need to feed that bacteria and make sure that it's healthy. And they're finding now that the more you feed these healthy bacteria, um, the lower your risk for disease is. And, you know, diets that are high in sugar, high in processed foods tend to cause unhealthy gut bacteria that can increase your risk for diabetes and all sorts of other things. So mostly plants, half your plate should be low carbohydrate vegetables and a little bit of uh, really fascinating <laughs> really, really fascinating subject and topics, and I, yeah, I, I'd love to kind of explore this more. And so maybe we could uh, look at some of these subjects for a future episode. Uh, thank you so much for giving us time. So you're in LA in the US. Yes. If there are any, if there is anyone listening and they do want some help with nutrition, diabetes, uh, where, where can they find you? Um, you can find me on my website. Um, it's nicoledemasi.com. And um, it's N-I-C-O-L-E-D-E-M-A-S-I.com. And um, I'm also on Instagram. It's Nutrition by Nikki. <laughs> and then I have a Facebook page, Demasi Nutrition as well. Awesome. Thank you so much, Nicole. Take care. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to our podcast to keep updated. Also, we love feedback and suggestions, and we love to hear from you. So let us know what you think. We're brought to you by Not Just a Patch, the patch designed to keep your CGM stuck on you. Wishing you the loveliest of days. Goodbye.